Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? G'day and welcome along to episode 24 of the Howie Games. Right off the top, a quick bit of news for you. This is actually the last episode in series one of the Howie Games. So thanks to everybody who's listened, subscribed and provided so much feedback along the way. Our producer, Michael James, the pickle, the big penguin and I... Well, we can't believe how many people have bothered to take a listen. So thank you. Thank you so much for your support along the way. The good news is Series 2 of the Howie Games is already well into production. We've got numerous episodes in the can, including a chat recorded yesterday with a true superstar, and I mean true superstar of world sport. It blew my socks off. I can't wait for you all to hear it. We are back Thursday, March 9 for Series 2. That's Thursday, March 9. Okay, the original vision for the Howie Games was to tell you the real stories behind those in the world of sport to entertain you, but most of all, I hoped our guests would inspire you. And this week's guest is a perfect example of that original vision. This is an athlete that was told time and time again that he wasn't good enough, that he would never make it, that he was crazy to continue, and that he had absolutely no future at all in his chosen sport. Dave Morris ignored all that negativity. He pushed and he pushed and he pushed just to be given a chance to show what he can do. And what precisely could Dave do? Dave proved he could qualify for a Winter Olympics, turn up and repeatedly soar six metres into the sky, twist himself into all manner of positions, risk life and limb, nail his performance in the biggest pressure cooker in world sport and claim an Olympic silver medal for his country, all with a huge smile on his face. That is what Dave could do. So uh, a lot of pressure on David Morris's shoulders right now. Can he hold it together for one more big jump? It's a great finish to the competition and a finish to the season for David Morris of the Australian team. I actually had the pleasure of watching Dave perform his heroics live at the 2014 Sochi Games with Network 10 and I truly don't think I've ever been so stoked to see an athlete succeed like Dave did on that magical night. And interviewing him directly after his silver medal performance at about 2am in the morning in about minus 15 degree weather, Dave, well, he could have used it as an opportunity to absolutely stick it up all those people that had doubted him along the way. And there were plenty, don't worry about it. But he didn't. Davey just smiled and smiled and smiled and joked and smiled some more, joked some more and talked about what the night actually meant to him, all with that glittering silver medal around his neck that people told him he would never, ever get the chance to wear. David Morris is all class. This is a man that nearly killed himself, literally trying to succeed in his sport. Dave Morris, the Howie Games salutes you, brother. Oh, my Jaja, tell me why won't they open up their eyes? They could help out if they try, try, try. If they would try, try, try. Aerial skier, Olympic silver medalist, uh, Dave Morris, welcome to the Howie Games. As I like the Howie Games, the I like it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's great to see you. Um, we, we have a, a history, I guess, of, of two and a half years, but I guess it's probably been the best two and a half years of your life. And <laughs> we sat down in St Kilda two and a half years ago and I thought, wow, this guy is a guy out of the box. He could achieve anything. Um, and you did. And you sit here as an Olympic silver medalist, which... We were just it's weird. Oh, it does. Sochi seems like so long oh. ago, and my brain has still got to unfreeze from those conditions. <laughs> yeah, exactly but right. It seems like a long time ago in some ways, doesn't it? When your life changed. Yes, yes, it does. And I, I was just chucking, chucking, uh, chatting about the uh, interview, and I think that was probably the first really fun interview I've ever had with anyone because we've been warned, oh, you know, you've got to watch mm. out for the reporters and stuff. And we had just a chat, and it was great. And then we had, you know, plenty after that at the games and so on. But it was a long time ago, and I was. You know, less mature, less experienced, less everything. Less known by less, the Australian Less public. known, correct. 
Um, and yeah, a lot has changed since then. I don't think it's changed me as a person. I like to think I'm still the same person. I can mess around. My friends see me on TV and they're like, yep, that's, that's you. That's always been you. But just a bit more, just experienced, I think. And we're sitting here in the VIS, the magnificent gym in Albert Park. If you can hear anything in the background while you're listening to the Howie Games. The kids racing. I think there's an athletics carnival going on. Well, let's, let's go way, way back, Dave. You tell us a bit about where you grew up and how you got into an unusual pursuit. Because you did start as, as a gymnast yes, a long time yep. ago, but you grew up in Melbourne? Yeah, I grew up in Melbourne. Um, yeah, so I started gymnastics when I was three. Uh, just jumping off the furniture and mum and dad were like, all right, we've got to put him in the gym, tumble tots class well, somewhere. So a freak to look after. I was just uh, breaking uh, stuff, I think. You would have been. So just like put him in a gym where <laughs> you, can, you can do it properly and learn how to do it, you know, efficiently and maybe make something of it. And we'd always skied as a family as well. So, you know, just one weekend a year or something up at, you know, Buller. And then 19 years later when I was 19 years old, um, I sort of peaked in my gym career. I wasn't going to the Olympics or anything. I was, wasn't competing in it anymore. Just sort of like, yeah, I do it for fun because it's fun to do flips. Good party skills, obviously. Mm. Impresses all the ladies. And, and if you've never seen Dave, jump on YouTube. What do they need to type into oh, your training? Be, or If you go hashtag... Oh, at Aerial Skier, it's on Instagram and um, Twitter, it's all there. And those that are listening, it will blow your whiskers off. It'll blow your mind <laughs> what this man does uh, when he's not on a ski scope. So uh, not on a ski scope, but you were. You were a, a really, really top-line gymnast, but as you said, you well, probably weren't, you know. I didn't know how to train as an elite athlete. I had the skill, and you know, it's a little bit cocky to say it, obviously. Like, I had good skills, and I had coaches over the years say, oh, if you'd really trained properly, you could have made more of it at the time, and I knew that. It just wasn't something I could see myself dedicating myself to but um then aerial skiing suddenly popped up Kirsty Marshall was a former Olympian now sport came into my gym one day saw me tumbling just happened to be the right time I was just doing the right skills and I went up and said oh you know I know who you are and she's like oh I've seen you tumbling maybe you'd like to try aerial skiing I'll help you out and I was like yeah that sounds cool I've seen it on tv it looks awesome so she took me out to Lilydale where we have our you know world-class training facility and there's pictures of that online and you'll see why you can't see my air quotation fingers here, world class. Well, this, this is, to describe it, this is a swamp yep. with leeches. Leeches. We found a yabby in there the other day. I was <laughs> yabbies. So you're still training out there. It's like, yep. a, it's like a scaffold ramp. Um, you said to me at one stage, you should have a try going down there. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going down that thing. And you guys jump off into a swamp. Into just the muddy water. And that's our best <laughs> facility. And given the amazing results we've had as an aerial team, it's pretty poor. So we are pushing for a new facility. But, you know, that's, that's the future. But um, yeah, she took me out there and for the first time I'd ever tried it, the swamp was great because it was a jump and I could do a flip and whatever and it was, it was amazing and I just never stopped from there and slowly met the right people along the way um, to help me out because it is tricky. Uh, there was a women's program at the time, which is, of course, that's fine because they've yeah. got great results. They had no men and I was like, no, I, think, I really think I can be good at this and I kept pushing and they're like, no, we just have a women's program and I just got so many people rallying behind me. I went overseas a couple of times. I had uh, the Canadian team say, look, if, you know, we'll, we'll take you on board if Australia were in the US are interested. And I was like, well, no, I, I want to jump for Australia because, you know, I'm patriotic. And there was, and we'll get to this, there was a lot of resistance, which we can, we yep. can speak about now. But before we, we get to that, I, again, I, I've, I've seen your first attempt at jumping <laughs> on snow. Also online, <laughs> also as is everything. <laughs> Tell us about where it was, um, the size of the jump and, and how it went for you. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was a buller. There was a, I think the jump was probably about 40 centimetres high and I'd just come back from like watching the aerials competition up there and I was like, I can do this stuff. So I set up this tiny jump and it had no structural support whatsoever. My skis went straight through it as I tried to do something off it and landed on my face. 
next attempt, I strengthened it a bit, did a 360, went to the rocks on the side of the run. It was just a disaster. You literally just, you, you look like a, a five-year-old in yeah. your first attempt look, at Milo Ski School, don't I you? I look like I've never done anything acrobatic before in my life. It's embarrassing. I watch it. I'm like, I'm a gymnast and I can ski and this is not how I should be looking. But that's how it was. I started. I sucked. It, it's, it's funny you say that because I, I can remember in St Kilda, so when we went down there, so Sochi was 2014, 14, yep. so February. So this is probably late be late 2013. 2013. Yeah. We're in St Kilda in summer and, and I hadn't met you and we, we, we uh, went down there to meet you and I remember saying to the cameraman, gee, this bloke, he doesn't, like, to be frank, we've had I don't stop moving. He, he doesn't look like an athlete at all. He just sort of looks like a, a reasonably mm. thin, small I've fellow. had many people say that. It could be an IT yeah. type They're man. like, you don't look like much. I'm like, no, I really don't. And I, I don't even take offence to that. Until you start spinning or flipping or twirling or jumping from on the road literally up onto a car which mm. you did that day and I was like I can't believe how much power <laughs> this little bloke has in his body and that's um you know it's a good old saying don't judge a book by its cover Absolutely. and that's You're how I went into example. the sport and they they did they went no you don't look strong enough and good enough I'm like I understand that but just give me a shot just watch what I can do and then make an assessment and eventually that happened and they were, they were like oh actually you are quite good I'm like I know I've been telling you for a while um but yeah you know people can be deceiving and I hadn't been the best gymnast and I guess I had no record of amazing results, but that's just because I hadn't trained 100% of what I was capable of. And once I realised what that was, just took off and I used it. I think your story, Dave, is why I don't think I've ever cheered so hard for anyone in an event. I've seen the video of you actually. There's a little clip of you doing it. It's hilarious. Because to me, you you were the typical fairy tale story of someone that had been told no the whole way along the whole way along and I think that probably shaped you as a Absolutely. person. Absolutely. So tell me about the, the barriers you face. You mentioned the girls. We've got such we've got Elisa, the gold medalist, Lydia, the gold medalist. We had Jackie Cooper. She's world champ. Kirsty and Marshall. Cursed, yep, the elite. Oh, very elite, very tough people. And all female. Yep, all female. And that's just, you know, a good program, obviously. They were doing it right. And from my view, I was like, oh, this is unfair. But if you look at it from a business perspective, if you're getting it right, why would you change or throw a spanner in the works? I understand that. So they just didn't, I just didn't get the same opportunity. So I had to make my own, which is fine. Then I appreciated the help when I eventually got it. And they said, all right, we'll let you on the team. And I just made the most of it. Prior to that, trying to get on the team, tell us about some of the things you went through. And for anyone listening, it wasn't the girls because they were having Oh, no, no. Athletes and coaches had nothing to do with it. It's all all sports politics and money. And it's it's run as a business, as is everything else. Tell us about that. um, Let me see. Barriers. So I could go and train at Lolita, which was fine, and Kirsty helped me for a while. And then I met some of the Aussie coaches and they said, hey, look, you're really good. We'd like to help you out. Maybe come overseas with us and train in uh, Lake Placid in the US. And yep. we, you're not on the team, but we'll keep an eye on you. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And they said, yeah, but you've you know, you got to go through a couple of meetings first just to see if that's fine because they obviously just can't take a random person. And I went in and I was told, no, you're not good enough skier. Don't go overseas. It's not, no, it's not worth it. So I went anyway. I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I can do this. I went against orders, you know, I'm terrible in that sense. I can imagine from, from the um, perspective of people in charge, I was a pain there, but I really was. Yeah. And I can see that now, I probably still am. But I just, I had an idea of what I wanted and I went and did it. And every time they said, no, you're not good enough. Or people were like, no, I don't think that's a good idea for you. I just went and did it anyway, because that's what I wanted to do. So how did you know inside? Were you it's, guessing that you were good enough, Dave? Or did you actually think, oh, I am good enough? It's a hard thing to describe to people um, when you know something and 
when I go into the school talks, I get the same question, teachers like, you know, how did you know you were good? For the kids here, you know, I'm not sure. I'm like, the best thing I can describe, I guess, is if you put a box in front of someone and you say, can you jump up onto this box? You know whether you can or not. Most people are like, yes, I could make it. If someone says, you know, you can't, that doesn't change the fact that you can or the fact that you know you can do it. And obviously the higher the box, people get more unsure, but I'm just very aware of what my ability is as a person. And that's through gym and tumbling and doing all these things for so many years. I just watched the sport, I had to go, and I just know what it's gonna feel like to do the big skills. And again, it's very hard to explain, but I literally just knew I could do it. And no one was gonna tell me otherwise. If I'd proven it wrong and it hadn't been great, that's fine, but I wanted to prove it to myself rather than have someone tell me and be like, oh, maybe it could have been good. So luckily I proved it to myself and it worked out. That they eventually did accept you and, mm. and there was votes from, from the athletes? Yep, all the, the athletes like, yep, saying. you should give him a go. He's tried really hard, he's good, the coaches are all behind it. And I think by that time I'd, I'd proven enough and just had to do it the long way around. But then when they said, yep, you're on the team, we're going to give you, you know, the same help as everyone else, which is fine. I just made the most of it because I didn't take it for granted. And some people do come into programs and they just expect, oh, I want a uniform, I want this, I get to do this. And they don't understand how much is actually being given to them. So once I got it, I was like, I'm not wasting any moment of this. And I was the first on the ramps, I was the last off the ramps, I was pushing skills, I was just trying to catch up to people. And I had two and a half years of working to get onto the team to catch up on. And I was basically told, look, you can, can be on the team, but obviously the goal's in Olympics and we want you to make the Olympic finals in four years time. And to start a new sport, and make an Olympic finals, which for us is the top 12 in four years time is nearly impossible. I would have said impossible, and, but that was the opportunity I was given. So I said, yeah, I'm gonna do it. And just did the uh, KPIs along the way, I worked up the, the list of skills and got about a year out from the games. You know, plenty of coaches helping me Vancouver out. This is Vancouver games, games, sorry, Vancouver games. Got about a year out and I realized, wow, I really, I'm so far behind because you just can't really do it in four years. And I had to talk to my coach at the time and I said, look, um, I just, I really want to go to the Olympics. That's my goal for my whole life was to represent Australia at a big event. Olympics was going to be it and it was going to be aerial skiing. I was like, I just want to go. And that's not exactly the best mentality of an athlete. Like you want to go and compete well. And Lydia had told me, you know, that year or the year before, like you, you can't just turn up and wear the uniform because that's not enough. And I was like, no, I just want to go and I want the uniform and I want to feel like an Olympian. And to me at the time, that was all that was important. Obviously, I've learned better since then. Yeah. I said, I just want to go. What do we have to do? And basically, we were at a certain skill level and he said, look, we're down here. We need to do all these skills. It normally takes two or three years. We have four months to work on it if you really want to do it. And it can be done, but it's very dangerous and you're going to skip a lot of basics. And we decided, well, I decided that was worth it and we got up to the really hard skills. They were not sound. They were, you know, I was hucking my body off the jump with enough control to survive, but it wasn't great. And then the year of uh, Vancouver, I basically had four competitions in which to qualify for the Olympics because I hadn't really been able to compete at the highest level until then. And qualifications start two years before, so I'd missed out the first year, basically. So I had four competitions. I had to land in every competition, do very well in every competition with skills that I'd learned two months before and somehow managed to do it. And um, when I explain it to people, like, here's this competition, I came, made finals for the first time, came 11th and came down to the last competition and I had to make the finals and get a personal best on this jump and I was the last person to jump and it sounds like such a made up story, but it's actually how it went. And it came down to one last comp in the US and to guarantee myself an Olympic qualification spot had to come 12th or higher. 
and 12th position had a higher score than I've ever got before. So I was like, well, this is it. Have to go huge or go home. And we went huge, landed it, scraped into 12th, qualified, and, and that was it. And I made it in and I jumped well in Vancouver. I did the best that I could do. I was jumping way out of my league. I landed both my jumps and then just missed out in the finals coming 13th and missed out by 0.89 of one point. And of course, that doesn't mean anything to anyone. And to you know that the score was like 221 and I missed out by less than a point. So it was a bit heartbreaking, yeah. It was, it was so small. And but 13th in, in your first Olympics. First Olympics after four years in the sport. So it was impressive. And was the Olympic experience at that point as a competitor rather than a potential winner mm. as much as you could ever ask for? Was I it thought it was. Was it built it up to be? It wasn't, which is interesting. And that's with more experience and two Olympics down. Um, but what Lydia had said years before is, you know, just wearing the uniform is not enough. And that's exactly how she phrased it. And I didn't understand it at the time. And when I got the uniform, I was pumped and opening ceremony was amazing. It was everything I wanted it to be. But after coming 13th, as much as that was probably my best result I could have got, I just couldn't have jumped any better. You know, I came home and I was like, yeah, I'm an Olympian. And people are like, oh, really cool. How did you go? And of course, that's the first thing they want to know is, how did you go? They don't care that you're an Olympian. They want to know what the result was. So the being Olympian meant a lot to me, but I realised that no one cared unless you did well. Even though I jumped 12, I said, oh, I came 13th and just missed out in the finals. I was like, oh, that's too bad. And that was the end of this conversation. So it just wasn't as rewarding as I thought it would be going in. I was like, Olympics, it's so cool to be an Olympian. And yes, it is. Don't let me take that away from people. It absolutely, you should be proud of that. But it's not as satisfying unless you really do reach your potential because as an athlete, that's what you expect of yourself and what people expect. So it was in the end disappointing in just enough of a way to make me try again. I was going to retire after those games because I was like, yep, did my Olympics, that's what I've wanted. Well, you did. You, get, you, you gave it away. That, yeah, that, I, I quit the next year. I, I came back, tried again, got injured that next winter because I didn't really want to be there because I thought oh, I don't really want to... Back in my mind, didn't really want to be there. Got hurt because I wasn't paying attention. Tried to come back didn't enjoy it, hated everything and officially quit. Um, I tell people oh, I just retired, but I quit. I was convinced I was and done. What, and, what, and what were you going to do? Teaching. I finished right. my um, university degree, which I was just picking at for years and years while I was training and I finally graduated and I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a good job to have and teachers always needed. PE maths teacher, it's a good combination. So I went and taught at my old school for a while in Whitefriars and they were like, yep, come and have a go. And it was really enjoyable. And then a couple months later, I was just like, you know what? I'm just kind of bored with real life. I say that carefully. Like, real life for everyone is fine, but for me, it just, I wasn't you, ready for you it. You haven't lived real life. I've never lived yeah. the real life for a long time, and people don't understand that their daily routine is actually so foreign to us. They're like, oh, I'm just going to go and see my friends and relax. I'm like, we don't get to do that. Just like, yeah, do just like our life pizza. is unimaginable to them. They don't understand that we're training all the time and a day off is still a training day. You're just recovering. So I got sort of bored of real life and just thought, you know what, I don't want to be remembered as the Aussie boy who tried so hard and overcame all these obstacles to get to the Olympics in four years and just miss out. And a lot of people were disappointed for me because this, the general consensus was I should have made it in and arguable. It's a judge sport. And what it was, you know, it hap what it was is it the got result. got fiery. Yeah. There was, there was, there was opinions of, uh, there was on where it should have been. And but there was coaches approaching the judges. And yeah, my coach like went that. up and yelled at them and yep. was like, excuse me, did you really watch that jump? And I had other coaches from other teams come down and say, we actually think you should have made it in. We're really sorry, which was really awesome of them, but it also rubbed salt in the wound because I was like, yeah, I should have got in. But I just didn't want to be remembered as the guy who just missed out after trying so hard. So I thought I'm going to come back. At that point, Dave, we're talking Vancouver now, were you jumping 
I don't know you that well. Were you yeah. jumping to succeed or were you jumping to stick it up all the people that said you're never going to be able to do oh, this? I've always jumped to stick it up people. That's, right. how, jumping that's with, how I work. So do you jump with anger or do you jump with I'm going to prove you wrong or what's in you when you're jumping? Oh, never anger. I think I, I say to people I jump in spite of people right. sometimes and it's I wouldn't recommend that as motivation for everyone, but it does work for me. It, and it was, I don't hate people. I'm just like, you know what, you said this one time and I just want to prove you wrong just mm. to be like, I told you I was right. And sometimes it doesn't always work, but that was motivation enough to get me out of the bed on some mornings when I just didn't want to get up. I'm like, oh, it's cold today, I'm sore. And then I could imagine all these people going, yeah, we knew you couldn't do it. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to allow you that pleasure. I'm going to get up and keep training. And it just kept me going and going and going. And then after the Olympics, part of the decision to quit at the time was I didn't have that drive because I'd made it. And even I just missed out, arguably, whether it should have been in the finals or not, I was like, I don't have a reason to get out of bed anymore because people were like, oh, you, you did do it. And there was no one saying, no, you can't. So I had to refine the motivation. passion and the motivation. And that took, that took a couple months of being home to be like, you know, I don't like just sitting around doing nothing. I can do more. I can make the finals and I can do better jumps and I can land better jumps and had to find the proper motivation rather than the, I need to prove people wrong motivation. That was, that was the task. So for those that don't really know what aerial skiing is, um, your book, your book's name? Second Nature. Second Nature, which you can get. Yep, oh, you, you can buy it off my website. I basically have it at my house. I'll send it to people. I like go. to sign them. You sign it? Yeah, I'll sign, sign it, write a message if you want. I've got a beautifully autographed copy at home with a very, very touching message in it. So th- there's a, uh, I should have brought it with me. There's a photograph in that book which describes what aerial skiing is. I, you probably don't know it off by here, but it's a lot about visiting hospitals and broken <laughs> bones. Right. And it's a description in some book about aerials is about um, getting the biggest hospital, hospital bill and lying about you know how many injuries you have, all these things, which is basically kind of true. You come out of hospital and people have all these injuries and it's who can bust out the biggest list of problems they've had with their body. And that's aerials in a nutshell. It, it's, a, it's a frightening, and it was the first time I'd seen it live in Sochi. I'd it's seen different to see it live. It was the most, uh, I thought, Prior to that, probably MotoGP or riding a horse is the most frightening mm. sport I've seen. And then I saw, firstly, the girls' competition was first, and I, I couldn't believe what I saw Lydia was doing in training, and yep. she was throwing herself down that hill, and she was twisting those knees. So tell me, what, what is the, I, what's the key to aerial skiing? What are you trying to achieve? The key? Oh, if only there was a, one specific one. I, I, could, I have my opinion on it. Everyone's obviously different. Yep. I think the key to the sport is... Um, knowing yourself very, very well. Uh, we do so much training on water. So we practice all our jumps in the water first off a of plastic ramp. So we practice all the skills, master them, and then take it to snow. So when we're on snow, we're not just hucking our bodies off the jump. Some people are like, how can you do that? I'm like, we've practiced for years. How high is the jump? You, you spoke about a 40-centimetre jump when you had your first yeah, so the, jump. Yeah, so the single, which off? is the smallest jump in aerials, is probably about two metres high. Yep. And then it, the doubles, maybe three and a half. The triples, four to four and a half. And how high are you going off the triple above triples, the snow? Uh, about 15 metres up in the air. So it's, it's not a small it's drop. It's a three-storey building yep. type setup. Yeah, it's, it's a huge drop. And, and, and the, the landing slope is, again, the thing that got me. It's, it's quite steep. Well, you, you couldn't... You could struggle to walk up the landing slope. Oh, yeah, if you're it's at the a task. Of it. yeah. yeah, the landing hill's usually, I think, about 37 degrees. So it is quite steep, and it does take away a lot of the impact. But if you land on your stomach or your back, you know about it. Um, but, yeah, we, I don't, the key to it is when you're up there and you... 
it's, it is scary. Every jump for me is always scary because it very well potentially could be the last jump you do if something goes wrong because we have wind conditions, we could have the last deteriorating snow conditions. could be the last time you walk. Yeah, and that's a, that's a fact you just have to handle and it does get to people and some days it is too dangerous to jump and you just, you know, pull it out. Like, no, I'm, I'm done, I'm going back inside. So and, how have you dealt with that fear? Cause we'll get to injuries in mm, a moment, but how have you dealt with that fear? The fear is one of the reasons I do the sport because not many things give me the adrenaline rush. Like I go on roller coasters, they're fun, but I don't feel that stomach churning feeling. And I went skydiving, I was like, ah, it just doesn't do it for me, which I, I don't know, it's just one of those things. But aerials is every day you're up there doing a skill that could potentially be the last one and stuff can go wrong. And what if I land on my head? What if I land backwards? And you just have to convince yourself to go. And the hardest part of doing the whole skill is turning to go because that's the moment you dedicate that you're going to go off this huge jump into all these commit. skills. Yeah, you commit to it because you have the option to bail. And when you do it and don't bail and land it, it's so rewarding because you've made yourself do something that, and I say this carefully, that normal people can't do. Like most people would go, no way. And I'm up there going, you know what, no way, but I'm going to anyway just to see if I have the guts to go. And so that's you're rewarding. overriding your brain. Yeah, it's an, you override your natural instinct to not go and it's it's so it's it just gives me such a cool feeling to do that and walk away and be like yeah i did that and i chose to and it wasn't by accident and the feeling when you're up there upside down freedom freedom absolute freedom is the it? scariest part is skiing in and going off the jump because that's when skis can go crazy once you're in the air nothing can touch you up there you're in complete control freedom. and you can make it look however you want and then then you're like oh yeah the ground's coming up i better pay attention <laughs> there's a couple moments where you're just spinning going this is the best when the jumps go well, it's just like, it's just so smooth and I can be so relaxed when I do nice jumps and it can look like you're not even trying and that's, it's, it is just free up in the sky. When it goes wrong and it has gone wrong for you. Plenty of times, yep. Plenty of times, yep. a, a, as it would. Tell me about some of the things that have gone wrong and you're not an aerial skier if you can't brag about some of the injuries oh, you've yeah, had. Yeah. Um, I have, I've definitely been more well off than a lot of people. I've only had one concussion in my now 11 years, which is probably unheard of. Yeah. Um, and that was just landing a bit short of rotation and twists. I landed sideways on sort of a really icy surface and the side head knocked, knocked me right out. I've had one major hip injury, same sort of crash landing on my side and my hip just got yanked out of place. Kept jumping, made it worse because I'm a boy and, you know, boys are like, no, I'm fine. That's how we work. Yeah. Especially when you're competing with all the girls. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want, don't want to look weak in front of everyone, and of that, course. And that's always been part of you because yeah. you were the only bloke on the team. Yep. So it, on I had to feel like I was the toughest. I probably, for sure was not. <laughs> but on the rarity where you got to socialise, I can remember you saying you'd walk into a restaurant with 10 girls. That yep. was the way you rolled. Yep. Walk, walk into some bar and this, uh, this as guy reminded me once, I uh, walked into a bar with, you know, the seven girls on my team. And this guy comes up a little halfway through. He's like, dude, how do you do that? I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, oh, everywhere you go, like seven girls just follow you. I'm like, oh, it must be my accent. Yeah, I, know, I just made up some story. I'm like, I was following them just from in front of them. Um, but yeah, people think like they just follow me around. It's, it's hilarious. I can't believe we're being put on ice, Pickle. What's the world going to do without us for four whole weeks? They will be stuffed, Pickle. Totally. And what are we going to do? Superstars like us need constant gratification. Well, Mr... (laughs) Well, Mr... Constant gratification. (laughs) Well, Mr... Constant gratification. (laughs) You're going to start school. And good luck to your teacher with that, Nico. 
in case you're not aware, Pickle, not many preppies have a hit podcast. I will be big time at that joint. Sure you will, Big Penguin. Not. Anyway, we are back March 9 with Series 2. Of the Pickle and Penguin Games. <laughs> At Arizona State University, we offer a wide variety of degree programs online to match all kinds of interests and career aspirations. Programs that are taught by the same notable faculty who teach on campus and designed using innovative technology to improve learning outcomes and equip you for post-graduation success. That's why 87% of ASU online graduates indicated they were promoted at work or received an increase in salary after earning their degree. Find your program at asuonline.asu.edu. I think uh, the one that got to me reading and talking to you is uh, you, you had an incident in a pool, I, I think it was yep. in training, where um, I, I don't know why you would have still been doing your sport after it, to be completely frank. I did question it. Yes, I was doing, we're just water jumping and um, doing triple flips and I drifted a little bit off the jump, which is not a big deal normally, a bit windy or I just get off a bit crooked. And normally the water has um, bubbles breaking the surface tension, so it makes the landing a little softer, so I just, I miss them. And that does happen sometimes, but I was so busy trying to be awesome and show off to people and holding this lovely straight form in the air that I forgot to bend my legs when I landed. I just landed straight up and down. And I felt this nice little pain in my back, which is, again, not unusual. So it just went all through your body? Just went straight up and, like, impact dodged my knees where it would normally take them into my back and I was like all right that really hurt and I got out of the water going oh this really that sucked and everyone's laughing it's like yeah welcome to triples you know the normal and I tried to get out of the pool and I couldn't because I couldn't move my legs and I was like all right that's not okay I was like no guys seriously something's not right and they dragged me out and I just had to lie on the ground because I couldn't sit up towards them I couldn't wriggle my toes couldn't do anything just couldn't feel my legs so you're scared now I was I was really scared that just broke on my back and that I wasn't going to walk again and it was a very real fear and so what are you thinking at that stage I just thought that's it I'm done that's I'm in a wheelchair I'm not just done for my sport I'm I'm done done from from life will change for me it, it was very scary and obviously I'm okay now so I can it's I can nearly joke about it but at the time it was terrifying and they're like, oh, do you want to, we'll get an ambulance, go to the hospital. And I was just like, nah, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen, which stupid boy instinct. I was like, nah, it didn't happen. I'm just going to lie here and I need to deal with it for a minute. So I lay there for about two hours just watching everyone and just thinking about if this was real or not and what You're would I do about it. You're still at this stage that it is real for Yeah, well, I mean, hours. still couldn't feel my legs. Like, how real is this? You know, how much of an impact is this going to have? Can I get over this? And then I slowly started to be able to wiggle my toes. I was like, this is good. Did you think you could have got over it? Well, it was when my toes started moving again, I was like, all right, I can obviously feel them. I have feeling. I just, I didn't think bad thoughts. I just thought this is, this is a good start. It's going to come back. I'm not, I'm not paralyzed. Okay. So I only thought I could only think positive things because it's just, I didn't want to make it any worse than it was. So I just thought, okay, I can move my toes. Stuff's sore. Everything's going to be fine. I eventually sort of crawled out of there, went back to the condo, um, took some severe painkillers slept for a good 14 hours, um, managed to start, you know, walking again. And it was all, it, does, it sounds serious, but it went away relatively quickly in a sense. Like legs moved again. I was like, all right, but my back was really sore and leaning back and a little twist would really, really hurt to the point where I just had to be like, I need to sit down. And then a week later I was back training, which of course is stupid. I didn't know what it was. I was like, well, feelings back. It hurts when I land in this way. So I won't land like that anymore. Came home to Australia, got it checked got a scan, uh, took it to the doctor and he's like, well, you've got a bulging disc in your back. And he's like, 
but that's not so bad. Um, but still, if, if it bursts, uh, you won't be able to do anything anymore. And I recommend that you maybe stop your sport. And this is the doctor I'd always gone to. And I was like, well, I respectively, I'm going to ignore you. And he's like, I knew you would. Mm. I'm going to give you to a neurosurgeon. So I went to a neurosurgeon and he had a look at the scan and he went, oh yeah, I see bulging disc, not a big deal, but there's something else that no one has ever seen. And it was a blood clot in my spine. And he was just an expert on that. And he's basically said, it's in your sort of L4, S1 region of your spine, which is not ideal at all. And he's like, I've never seen that before. Cause usually it happens in people's brains and they die. It's called a subdural, subdural hematoma. He's like, well, that's really not good. Um, we can take it out, put a syringe in there, suck it out. Cause what it was doing was basically putting pressure on the nerves and it had cut off the feeling. So when I hit the water, I bled into my spinal cord effectively. It cut the circulation off and cut the pressure off on the nerves and that's why I couldn't feel my legs. And the brain had just sort of worked its way around it to give me feeling back. Not, a, not completely, but enough. He's like, yeah, we can take it out, but it'll take you about four months to recover. And this was before Vancouver when my, all my dream was to go to the Olympics. And I said, I don't have four months time because I'm running out of time. So I just said, we're going to leave it. And he's like, all right, well, it's obviously not my suggestion. Um, it can stay there because obviously you're walking and it's fine. But if you do it again, that might be it. He's like, just don't do it again. That might be it as in... As in, you, that might... I might never get feeling back if I was to repeat the process or make it any worse. And, and I was like, becoming an Olympian was more was important. Was more important to me. And it sounds stupid and I can... When I look back at it, I'm like, that was... It's a crazy decision. But when that's what you've wanted your whole life, in the moment, it made perfect sense to me. And maybe it will never make sense to me ever again. Did your family know the full... Yep. They knew what yep. was going on? Yep. Did yes. your mum and dad try and talk you out of it? No. Nope. Your bro? No. People just said, I hope you're making the right decision. I'm like, yep, but I think I can get over it. I'll get strong. I'll be fine. I'll obviously avoid doing that. And there's ways to, you know, I don't bend my legs and I land. Pretty simple. I'm a gymnast. or shouldn't know how to do that. But I just was very careful. And I actually had it scanned maybe two years ago now, just before Sochi. It's exactly the same. It hasn't changed. It's solidified, so it can't be removed. But the body has just adjusted around it, which is really cool but kind of scary because it's still there and no one knows what it will do in the future. So, so that will stay there forever now? Yeah, pretty much. They thought it would go away and it hasn't, but it's, the body does fascinating things and it hasn't affected me since, which is great, but it's there. So I think people listening now are starting to gain an understanding of when I talked about MotoGP or, or horse racing, what blew me away, what you guys do, I think people now will start to gain an understanding hmm. of the risks you take. Time progresses, you do come back, and, and I guess you probably came onto the the national consciousness in a sporting way when you became the first Aussie man to win a World Cup event. Yep. Because um, as you say, 13th in Olympics, you're an Olympian, but the average punter on the street... You'd have to be very specific snow sports fan to know yes. who you were at that no point. No one would know who you were. That's fine. But then you probably popped up for 15 seconds on every news bulletin one night. As I the, heard about that, yep. As the first bloke. Play of the day yeah, here and there. And I was like, what, cool. That's mm. what you would have been. That was over in yep. Europe. Yep. Yeah, I was in uh, the Ukraine and I'd come back from my year I quit and I decided, yep, I'm going to come back and do it. And, got, you know, still got some resistance coming back because I had burned a lot of bridges with that and I take responsibility for that. I, I knew what the consequences would be if I'd ever changed my mind and I'd hurt people's feelings and basically said, you know, I don't want coaches. You guys didn't help me. I said some terrible things. So I came back what to... What type of things? Well, just 
I, obviously, it, to them it came across that I didn't appreciate all the help I'd been given, which okay. I can absolutely see because they provided me with coaches and all the facilities and everything. Fun. And at the end of this summer, I basically went, I don't want to do this anymore. I had no real reason other than I was in a bad headspace. And I was too proud at the time to say that, that I, was, I just didn't feel it. I didn't know if I could be good. So I just said, I just don't want to be here. If I'd explained it better, it might have been a bit better off. But I just said, don't want to be here. I don't enjoy anything. I hate the sport. And they didn't understand why because they'd given me everything, which they had. So when I came back, I was like, yeah, I want to start again. They're like, well, last time we gave you everything and you just quit, why should we let you back? Legitimate question, you know, fair question. I said, I wouldn't be here if I didn't want to be. And you must know that because obviously this is not a comfy situation for me to come and ask. Yeah. I expect there'll be some ramifications from it. And there were. But I'd come back and I showed very, very quickly how much I was determined to train properly. And then that year I got my first podium, which is the third finished off the year with the win and ended up ranked number two overall in the world. So I was like, came back, showed you that I had what it takes and that obviously the break was good for me. I needed it for my brain because I was in a bad space. And once again, sort of showed a couple people out. They might've been wrong again. I was like, yeah, I, I didn't rub it in their faces because I was like, you know what? It was, it was a fair decision for them to not think I could come back and do it and I didn't deserve it. But I was like, I, I came back for a reason and that's what it was. And I guess at this stage for the first time you had to genuinely start dealing with the media. Uh, and yep. You, and as you said, you were told, and some people have that attitude, you know, the yeah. media will do Just the gonna wrong thing. Just going to be cautious. Right? Yeah, you'd be a little bit careful. I think after your first win, um, you know, all sorts of suggestions, maybe even the girl over there that was interviewing at the time <laughs> yeah. might have sort of said that you were the new heartthrob on yeah, the scene. Yeah, the, I was the new sex symbol in the Ukraine. <laughs> and I was, Which is good for any man to Hey, be I'm not complaining. I just Beautiful went, ladies in the Ukraine. Yeah. Oh, they are. It just put me really off guard because I was, I was ready for all sorts of questions and that was one <laughs> I'd never practised in my head and I just stood there so dumbfounded by it and I didn't have an answer. And as soon as I walked away, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have the best answers. Like, here's my room number. <laughs> he, you know, look at me up here. I was like, oh, idiot. Um, but yeah, it put me off. It was, it was very funny. It was all positive stuff. But, um, yeah, it was just interesting to just suddenly people like, oh, here's this guy. And I had to get used to no longer being the underdog and being good. Mm. And it went from, you know, being some random in the field to the Aussie guy who made finals every single week. And that was actually a really tricky thing to learn how to do. And that be helped me become a better elite athlete. And that's a, just a learning curve was underdogs easy. No one expects things. You can always impress people. If you do badly, everyone was like, oh yeah, you, that was gonna happen. And I got started to get more nervous about making finals every week and being expected to do that and making the top four every week. And I had to talk to my coach because I was doing really well. I was ranked like number four. And I got really nervous and I said, you know what, I feel like I'm just going to start crashing now because, you know, I've, I've been lucky to make it through every week and I don't think it can continue. And this is probably one of the best pieces of advice I'd ever gotten from any coach was he said, you're not making the finals because you're lucky. You're making them because you're trained and you're ready. And he said it in such a way that I, I believed every single word he said. I'm like, you're right. I'm not luckily landing my jumps. It's not a fluke that I'm landing the face in the right way doing these nice jumps in the air, getting good scores. That's not fluky at all. It's because I'm trained and I'm prepared and we've, we're ready for it. And for the rest of the season, I went into each jump going, I'm ready for this jump because I'm trained. And I kept making the finals, kept getting right up there with the podium guys. And last competition, if I was to win, I knew I'd end up number two in the world. And if I was to get in the top four, I'd be like in the top four in the world and made the top four, was the last person to jump. And I was like, if I land this jump, I'm going to end up number two overall. And I had to put that out of my head because that was, what if I crash? And I went, mm. I'm ready to do this jump. 
and I'm going to do a nice jump because I'm trained. And I went and did a nice jump and landed and won the competition. And it was, it was a very interesting experience that year to just learn to be a professional athlete who deserved to be up there with the big guns. And I had to honestly believe that I was good enough to be up there with the guys who I'd idolised for many years. And I was up there with them because I'd You weren't I'd just a battler now. You no. weren't, I mean, going yeah. for 13th, you could win. It was a very different mentality to go and go, I, sh- I can win today, there's a very high possibility, but if I think about that too much, I won't. I just have to go and do a, one jump at a time, and once that one's landed and made it through, the next jump. And that's what I took into the Olympic year as well, and I got one podium during that season, and I'm, I'll skip a little bit ahead, but yeah, into, the, into Sochi. Um, the hardest round was the first round. Well, before you get to the first round of Sochi, yep. so Sochi to me was sold as the Monaco of Russia, and then I got there and I thought, oh, I've been to Monaco, and this is no. not anything like Monaco. <laughs> That's an interesting place. And they said, uh, right, you're going up the top of the hill with Michael Kennedy, a, a man heavily involved in Australian snow mm-hmm. sports, and we, we had the best seat in the house for the extreme sports, yep. for, for what you were doing, for what Tora was doing in, in the bowl, for what the guys were doing in the moguls. It, it, was, yeah. it, it, was, it was fantastic. And I, Give me a word to describe your when you got to Sochi your first few training sessions out of 10 how did I feel about them was it going well or was it going terribly it was it was kind of my average training week to be honest I'd usually train sort of poorly because we're adjusting to the site the new conditions everything looks different and the jumps were slushy because it was too warm and people were complaining about that and I was like yeah we can complain about it or we can go and train because it's not going to change anything and we're all going off the same jumps wasn't great, but I accept, accepted that, yep, everyone's not training great. I sort of watched a couple of people. I was up in the midst of it. Um, so it wasn't a it, crazy it, week. It was put to me at that stage um, that you, you weren't going well and that you'd been coming off a bit. And I, I had a... Which I'd, for me is normal. But yeah. The person watching, like, oh, he's not jumping very well. But if every competition for the last two years, I train very average and sort of I figure it out in training and then on the comp jump I put all the stuff together and go this jump I'm getting it right it's like I put more mental energy into it in training I don't try as hard which I do not recommend to anyone it's the most it's the worst way to train because it stresses your coaches out but it does work for me so I just sort of save it for the comp but yeah I wasn't training amazingly if you were just watching as a spectator but I was like no I'm just figuring it out and I was learning but um because the thing that that happened dave and it brings me to my most defining point i'd had with you was people were saying and uh, around the team and you're there as a journalist so you're being Mm. told things and you're trying to decide what am i going to talk about on air what i'm not going to talk about and there was discussions i think on air that your training wasn't that going well and i remember saying to michael kennedy i sat with this bloke and i don't know him that well but i sat with him in december November, whenever it was, the preceding the Olympic year, and he said, when I get to the Olympics, Howie, I guarantee you one thing, I'll stick my landings. Mm. And you said it to me with such conviction. Yeah. And for the next week and a half, whenever your name came up, whether it was radio interviews or work we are doing on Channel 10, all I would say was, listen, this bloke, he's 100% convinced he'll stick his landings. Yep, I'm going to land, and that's uh, one of my strengths in the sport, uh, is landings. Uh, and... And that's what ha- and that's what yeah. I kept coming back to. So, so it gets to the first yeah. round, and it, it was a tough round because mm. it's the Olympics again. Yeah. You don't want to finish thirteenth. But you that wanna- morning was really terrible training. Probably no worse than any other day, but I was missing takeoffs and not landing like I normally would. And it was it was getting to me. It was the Olympics, and it was like it got to me the morning of the competition. And I honestly had a moment at the bottom of the hill where I nearly cried. And I was got on the radio to my coach. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've trained 10 years for this day where I have a chance of really going well 
and I can't get it together. And I nearly packed up and walked home. Like I was just, I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of all these people. And this is what we were hearing, Dave. And yep. I, I, I remember. And it's true. I probably didn't do my job. I, th- I was too invested in your story at that stage. And I remember talking about it with Ken off air and, and we sort of thought, wow. You know, I kept saying, this bloke said he's going to stick it. And Ken, I was like, I think he'll be right. And I don't think we really delved into how tough you were doing it. I, I, I should have. I wouldn't if have I was doing my shown job other people, only the coaches and sports psych. Yeah, well, we, we were getting word from... Um, naturally, I expect it would get around, but I didn't want yeah. to talk to anyone about it and make it worse. But I was honest with the coach. I was like, look, I'm, I don't think I can do it. And I don't, I'm, feel like I'm going to let you all down today. <laughs> it was big. Like, On the it day makes of me, the Olympic I can feel my pulse already getting faster just from thinking about it because it's very fresh thought and I was like I'm gonna let everyone down and I'm really sorry but I can't get it together and then my coach did his job for the day and basically said you do this every week who are you jumping against today I'm like same guys as always he's like have we been here before and I'm like yep we were here last year he's like what jump are you gonna do I'm like same one I do every single competition he's like so what the hell's different I'm like nothing what a brilliant coach and that was the, he did his complete job in a minute that day and just brought me back to his name is called Spiro he's a Canadian coach no longer with us unfortunately but um obviously did his job and just brought me back down and was like you're about to go up and do a jump that you know how to do very well against people you normally compete with on a jump site you've been to before and it's just a competition and yeah there's it's Olympics and there's people watching but this is how you always train you train poorly you put it together and you're going to get it right on the next jump which is the comp and he goes now go up and do a good jump and I went up and did a good jump. And it was the best one of the day. Stuck the landing as I'd promised, but it's because I got a good takeoff and just did a jump and forgot about all the nonsense. And once I'd landed that jump, pressure was off the shoulders. It was a very relieving moment. It was, the first round is by far the most scary because if you don't make the finals, you don't get to show people what you can do. So the finals, are you trying to take, make top 12 at this so point? So top 12, so... To, for, I guess people who don't know the sport, there's two rounds of finals. The top 12 end up going through, but there's two rounds and the top six in the first round automatically go through to the finals. Everyone else has to jump again and then the top six of that round go through to the Long finals. Long day. Cold. That's got it's a six-hour day if you make it all the way through. I was watching and I it's was draining. cold and tired yep. at the end of it. Yeah, because the emotions are running yeah. high and that takes energy away. Big gaps between competition for yep. TV reasons. Between you go qualifications away. and finals, it was an hour and a half of a gap where you, basically your body cools down, you've got to recycle yourself up. And it was, it was very, it was tricky, but I made, I qualified equal first in the first jumps that we did. So I got straight through the top six, um, which made the top 12 finals. So that was a huge pressure off my shoulders. One, because I'd done better than Vancouver. Um, so I was top 12, so I was going to beat my previous result by one, and that's all that mattered to me in that moment was I've done better, so I've improved. And you had that ability then, which knowing you, you'll understand me saying this, you then had the ability to show off in front of the world. Correct. Which is you. Yeah, that's me. So once I'd done what I needed to do for me, I got to show people what I've trained for, and that's what I'd learned in the last two years was instead of being like, look at me, I'm amazing, or I want to make finals because I want to be in the finals. My sports psych had talked to me a lot of times, like, you know, why do you really want to make finals? And it wasn't to make finals. It was so I can do another jump and show people what I've been training to do all year. To perform. To perform. I want to perform for you and show you what I'm capable of, and then the result doesn't matter. And then so once I made the finals in Sochi, that's kicked in. I got to the bottom of my coach. Oh, so bottom of the hill, got on the radio with everyone, and I basically said, all right, people, I'm in not caring mode, <laughs> which... 
for those who have talked to me every week with it basically means obviously I do care about the results but I just go out there and I go just check what's going to happen right now I don't care about the results as such I will go and do a nice jump and if I don't make it I'm going to be okay with that so I went not caring mode put the radio down went up started training properly and then next round was the top 12 and you have to make the top eight and because I'd qualified so high I was second last to go and so you get to watch people and I had one of my big jumps lined up because I obviously wanted to make it through as many rounds as possible. And four people crashed before me, which opened up an easy top eight position. And to interrupt you there, this is where it came back to, to sort of paint the picture. We're on top of the hill for Channel 10 and I'm there with Ken Ho and it's like, these guys are falling. These guys are falling. These mm. guys are falling. And it came back and I said to Ken Ho, our man, because you were our man. And I'm like, I'm going to land this thing. Dave's going to stick it. He told me he, when the Olympic competition gets to his fiercest, he will keep landing his jumps. And people weren't. No, and they were just making little mistakes. And that's enough to just, you know, leave the door open a little bit. And I got down. I wasn't, I was listening to the crowd noises. So I'm like, people are going down. Something's happening. But I was trying to... Big not, crowd. Not too Excited crowd. It was crowd. good. Oh, they, they were loud. It was good. Nighttime, yep. lights. It's very hard to tune out. You have your music in your ears and you're like, I can hear them over that. It was like the X Games. It wasn't like the Olympics to me. It's like there's music and bands and it was like a party atmosphere. It is. And that's, that's what it's like at normal competition. So it was nice. Like, this is just another competition and I know all these guys and I got down to my spot ready to go and I talked to my top coach, Eli. I was like, okay, what are we doing? And he's like, four people have crashed. We're downgrading your jump. And I hadn't thought about it until that point because you don't want to be thinking too many things. So my coach is like, you're going to think about doing four twists and if, it's, if it changes, I'm going to tell you and then we're going to change it at the last second. And he goes, we're going to do three twists. So we saved the good skills for later because for those who don't know, we can't repeat our jump in finals. So reducing the difficulty. So reduce the point. difficulty to scrape through to the next round, which we knew it would be, but that then leaves you with your full, full arsenal of skills for the next rounds, which you're really needed in. So basically 30 seconds before I was about to go, get the radio up, we're gonna change jumps. So I went, okay, put one out of my head, brought the other one in. And that was, that was pretty scary to do because I hadn't really visualized it. And it wasn't a skill I had done very often, probably maybe five times before on snow. It just wasn't one I practiced. Uh, I was hoping we could save it for later, you know, use it in the last round, but it was like, for the best chance to make it all the way through, if you can get this skill out of the way now and, and make it through, you've got huge four twists and that's nearly guaranteed you can get into the top four. So it had if, to be done. If. If you land. If, yeah, it's all if. If. If everything goes right. And we'd made plans six months before, plan A, plan B, plan C. This was plan A. Qualify early into the finals, watch people crash, downgrade the jump, save it fast. So it was all going to plan A, which was crazy. And so I did this jump, wasn't a great one. Landed it. I was like, yep, because I just got my landing brain on because I just had my not care mode. I was like, just got to land this jump. Sacrificed form a little bit, stuck the landing, scraped into the top eight in eighth place. Scraped. And it was close. It was much closer than we would have liked, but it was top eight. And that's all that matters because the score's reset and it's just the next eight people jumping. So I heard the comment to say, and he's in. I was like, cool, that's done. Had my little celebration, got over it because it doesn't matter anymore. Started thinking about the next skill. So it was top eight to get into the top four. I was first to go and I didn't have much time to get back up there because I was last in that round and basically straight back up for the next round, pretty tired already. And I was just gonna put down my very standard four twists, which is a full twist and then double twist and a full twist, one I'm particularly good at. And um, it is hard going first in the round because generally as a judge sport, the judges don't like to reward 
good scores straight away because they need to leave room for hmm. more, which is fair. It's just a judge sport. And I put down a pretty good jump, if I do say so myself. Stuck the yep. landing. Stuck it. Boom. Stuck there it he like goes again. Aussie Dave. Stuck yeah. it. Like, boom, stood up. Like, of course I landed that. <laughs> I'm pretty cocky when I land my jumps. Like, yep, of course I did. And um, got a pretty good score. And as nervous as I was to go first and be like, oh, you know, I'm first in this round, that scared a lot of the jumpers. They saw a nice jump and that put them off. And people suddenly went, I have to do something better. And they started trying too hard. They changed their plans. And people just started going down, making silly mistakes. And I just watched them crash and crash and crash. And I was like, I'm in sixth. I'm now in fifth. And I went back up the top. And I was up there on the radio like, tell me what's happening. And my coach was like, just relax. And I heard the crowd go, oh. And then the radio, you're in. Final four. Final four. And I just laughed so hard. Did I'm you? getting goosebumps just talking about that. <laughs> you are. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. You are. They're like, you're in. I just laughed and I was hitting myself in the face like, are you serious? Is this for real? Like plan A has just played out and I've imagined it exactly like this mm. for so many years. And I'm going to be in the final round, top four at an Olympics. I'm going to do this jump and I bet it's against these guys. And I was, I was asking, who's in? And they're like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, no, I know who's in. And it was Anton. The Belarusian. Belarus. Um, Jia Zhongyang. China. And Chi Guangpu from China. China. And it's exactly who I expected to be in there. And some bloke from Australia who was and told so, some all guy the who way through, about, yep. you're not going to be able to do this. Someone, someone who no one knew about. And I was like, it's exactly who I thought would be in the finals. And I knew exactly what jump they were going to do before they'd, anyone else had put down on paper. They're all going to do five twists because I'd seen them train it every week. And I'm like, they're going to do five, five, five. And maybe I could do my five, which I'd practiced on water. And after convincing myself this was actually happening, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Got on the radio, I was like, how about I do something harder to my coach? He's like, don't be stupid. Yeah. Plan A, we planned this a long time ago, do not change it now, because you won't land it. Like if you go and do something you're not prepared for, you're gonna crash it and you're gonna throw it away. Do what we planned. I did, wasn't happy with the decision. If, like, if everyone does their perfect best ever jump, they had done perfect here, jump. I was going to come forth. You're coming I had, forth. So if I wanted to win yep. against the best jumps, I would have had to go for something big. Yep. And in that moment, because I was just on fire, I was like, "I'm going to go. I'm going to land. I can do whatever I want." And coach brought me back down. He's like, "No, you won't. You crash it and you'll give it away. Just do what we planned." She's had and a good took, coach, mate. It took me a couple moments, and I was like, "Yeah, you're right. Because that that's crazy, crazy talk." And um. So I, You're up first. I'm up first because I got scraped into that round. Four people, three medals. Yep. And I had the moment at the top, and this is probably one of the big ones that a lot of people don't quite understand it because as, as Australians in sport, we like winners. That's, everyone goes in to win, and I wasn't there not to win. I was there to try and get a gold. But I was up there top four. And another bit of advice that this same coach had given me that year, which, again, great advice, was... Before I started really getting the podiums, I was like getting close every time and then messing up because I was too busy trying to get a podium. He's like, you know the reason you're just missing out is because you're trying too hard to win. You need to accept that maybe you're just, as, you're just a sixth place athlete. And once you can jump like a sixth place athlete and learn that that's acceptable, when you're getting sixth, that's very acceptable, then you deserve to come fifth. And that's basically what I started doing. I was like, I get into the top four and I'd be like, you know what, fourth is pretty good. And I'd land my jump because I didn't care so much about the result and I would come third or second or first or whatever. And then at the same moment, Sochi got up the top and I was like, I'm in the top four at the Olympics. I'm like, that is not bad. And if I land my jump right now and they land their jumps, they'll beat me and I'll be fourth. And if I crash my jump, 
I'll be in fourth. Fourth is more than acceptable at an Olympic Games for someone who people didn't think could do this well. And I accepted right then and there that I was fourth and I was fine with that. So my last jump was nearly stress-free. It's like, I'm fourth. Power of the mind. It was unbelievable. Just that had that, it just clicked and I was like, I'm going to be fourth. David Morris was up first. He saved his best jump until last, and a high score for him set the bar for the other finalists. I landed my jump, and even once I landed it, I was still fourth. I was fourth. I landed my jump, had a huge celebration at the bottom. That's when I really celebrate. Last jump I can, because you can get rid of all your energy and... I was like, I can't believe I landed all my jumps. And the scores, which are not really relevant in this conversation. They're but not, they were lower than we wanted. But, but, but they low all day. But the score you got was? I was 110. 110. And it's, you could have, like, on any other day, it might have been a 126. So I got the score, I was like, and then my reaction on the camera was like, oh, okay. And that's what it was. Can't argue. I was like, all right. But they had been scoring low on that particular jump all day. I was like, that's, that's, that's all right, because I landed. And that puts pressure on people who are waiting up there in the last round, maybe stressing out more than me, who wanted to win. And China was there to win. Anton was there to win. And statistically, three people were not going to land this jump for the five twists. Jeez, I had my fingers crossed open. Those statistics were right <laughs> at, at <laughs> this me. point. So did That's I. That's right. He's got a score on the board. And yeah. Michael Kennedy was like, mate, here's a chance. Someone's going to stuff this up. Someone's runs on the board, crash. as Someone's, you said. Yeah, yeah, runs on the board. Runs That's on the exactly board. what it was. Runs on the board. And I sat at the bottom... And I was looking at Lydia and we're just like, just cheering each other like, oh my gosh, this happened. <laughs> but for me, it was, I got to show off every single skill that I can do in front of everyone on the day it counts. And that's actually all that mattered. Well, you'd already won then, Dave. I'd won. I had won in my yeah. brain. I had done what I'd came to do. People were going to be impressed no matter what. I think with your story and people listen to it, they would understand now you'd won. Yeah. If you're fourth in the Olympics from yeah. where you come from, you'd won. And I think that's why the silver was still a victory. And it, I'll get to that in a minute, but... um. Yeah, I was sitting at the bottom and I just watched Anton was next. And it's going to be five twists. And as soon as he came off the jump, I was like, this is a beautiful jump. It was phenomenal. And I just watched it and he stuck it. And I was like, damn you, Anton. And three seconds of, I hate you so much. And then it was, that was incredible. And his score? 136 or 134, something huge. And for someone that had only been watching the sport for two weeks at that stage, which was me, I'd watch the women's, uh, you didn't need to be an analyst of aerial skiing to no. go, that bloke has done it something was literally amazing. the nicest jump you have ever seen at the Olympics. And he, so I got over what my a, initial, what a time like, to I do can't it. believe you just beat me. That sucks. To If that doesn't win, I would be disappointed yeah. for him. And he's been my idol for many years. So for him to beat me, when he deserved to, it was kind of a privilege to watch him perform at his best and get what he's been working for for a long time. On the time. biggest stage of On all. the biggest stage. And I was so happy for him. And, you know, people are like, oh, you were jealous. I'm like, yeah, for sure, a little bit. But we both sat down after his jump, hug, and he's like, you've done really well. I was like, dude, you, that was amazing. And then we just sat there and watched China. So you're in the Olympic silver medal position because you've had a jump. There's two yep. to go. Technically, yeah, silver medal position, but technically still fourth. Yes. And that's how I thought about it because if everyone lands, I've come fourth. So Anton's got a medal for sure. So I'm like, dude, you've got a medal. Amazing. So I'd accepted, yep, I've done well, but people can land. And as soon as first China, uh, I think, who was it first? Um, uh, Qigong Pu went first. And, and just to our China brothers here, they're not jumping for silver or bronze. No, they're, they're, they're not happy with fourth. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, any, anyone listening, I love these guys. They're all great. I get along with everyone. But in the heat of the moment, your brain goes to funny places. Well, of course it does, but Dave. I, 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 these guys are amazing. So but they're jumping he, to beat Anton. Yeah, they're jumping to win. That's 
all they trained for, their whole program, just like us, but um, no one expected me to get that far, but Anton was there to win. So China went off the jump. The moment his skis left the jump, he was in trouble. And we knew it. We just watched him. Because when you see it so many times, you know when people are not going to make it. So the moment he came off the Does jump... Does he know at this stage? Oh, yeah. As soon as right. your feet leave, you know you can't do it. Right. <laughs> and he was working as hard as he could, but I was just watching going, this is going downhill. And he wasn't spinning quite fast enough. He's running out of time. And I felt my whole body all get all tense. I just watched him just put his hand down and just roll over. And I just looked at Lydia. And it's on the video of the it Olympic is. footage. And I, it I is. wish it wasn't. Because um, I couldn't hide my emotion. Just looked at her and I just screamed so loud, like, oh, my God, I've got a medal. You're an Olympic medalist. And then I hid my face because I realised I was cheering <laughs> for me when he'd crashed. And I felt a little bad. But that was in the moment. All I could think about was, oh, my gosh, I've got a medal. Hid my face. Had a little cry for a second. Got myself together. Came back and was like, no, I've got to let him have his moment. And I went up and said, you know what? That was a great jump. So unlucky. And then I was the last guy to go. And you're saying you have to be sporting, etc. Absolutely. No, yeah. And you do. But, but just for... 10 seconds I lost it. But where I am, uh, commentating and talking and mm. trying to take the pictures back to Australia, it's, you're, not, no. you're not. You're not. You, and uh, I don't know the Chinese and guy. You don't have and to. Not your I hope friends, he wins yeah. 10 gold medals from here on in. Mm. But never have I hoped so hard that a man would fall and not hurt himself. No, that's why I've. In and that, that was position. in my brain. I was like, I just want you to put a hand on the ground. Yeah, just, just have a sloppy just landing. Just, just bend your legs a little bit. We and don't like, need a I love them. knee I reconstruction be, here. I want them to be safe and I want them to be okay and everything. Mm. But I'm not going to lie. In my brain, I was like, just break form. Well, of course you were feeling that. Yeah. You could not feel that. And you couldn't so show that. To, it's so wrong to admit it, but it's the truth. And I tell people that I'm like, I'm not the most ideal athlete. I was hoping that someone would make a mistake because that's what I needed. I wasn't the best person out there. And I knew that from the start of the day. I just needed people to make mistakes and hope the statistics worked. You're the most consistent there, though. Mm. And I'm, yeah, I'm consistently very good, but I'm not the best. So when people jump better than me, they do deserve to win. And then Jia Zhong Yang came down, went off the jump. As soon as he left the jump, I'm like, he's not fast enough. And he just ran out of time, did a forward roll on the hill, and it was a silver medal. And first thing I did was congratulate Anton. I was like, Anton, you've won a gold medal, well done. And he was there congratulating me. He's like, Dave, you've won a medal, like crazy. Like he was just as happy for me as I was for him, which is great. And we waited for the score to come up and we had a big group hug at the bottom. And I've got a great picture of that actually. It's one of my most cherished pictures, I guess. It's just the four guys, there's heartbreak and celebration in there, but we just had this big group hug. And I was basically saying, guys, that was amazing. You should all be proud. You know, I'm very happy that we're all in the finals. We did great jumps. It's been an amazing competition and everyone's seen how good we are. And you know, then that broke up and I was like, and I've got a silver medal. And then I went off. Then I went off. It was all out the window from there. I think I was down with, uh, with your bro and yeah. your parents yeah. at the time. You got there quicker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I did because it was like, right, we've got to see if he's done it. Then I've got to get downstairs and try and grab the family reaction, which is a great Olympic tradition, you know. Of course. You're there with your family. They, they'll give the emotion, the comments that you want that I yeah, can't say. Yeah, they were, they were blown away. Your bro, mm. was, your bro was very eloquent. I remember him speaking really well. They do well. speak very well. For people who have not been media trained, when I watched yeah. the footage afterwards and listened, I was like, you guys spoke so professionally. Yeah, they did. And I'm proud of what you said because they, were, they weren't controversial. They didn't say anything too crazy. They just said the truth, how they felt. And I was like, that made me look really good and it made my family look good. I'm very proud of them for that. And there's because there was a lot of people at the games who didn't do things very well. Yeah, and there I'm was. always worried that um, someone will say something embarrassing. And there's you know there's funny embarrassing, but then there's like you shouldn't have said that. Yep. And I was very proud when I listened to it back afterwards. I'm like you did our whole family proud with everything everyone said. It was very cool. And then you went through that bizarre uh, four yearly thing 
or two yearly with the winter and summers where you go from being, with the greatest possible respect, an unknown... Yeah, to from being, being a nobody to being... On, on the front page everywhere. of the paper. Every talk show, every interview, yeah. every morning show. It's, wow, who's this guy? Where's he from? What's his backstory? He, what, he jumps on it cars. Was so strange. He was told he couldn't compete. He was told this, he was told that. Mm. Hey, you know, it, it's everyone wants to know about your life then. Yep. Did it just explode? What's it, what's it like being the man in that position? It was, it was overwhelming. Was it? I was I'm surprised. Prepared for it because I love my social media. I like talking. You know, we'd had a couple of interviews, and I was like, you know what, journalists are fun. If you have a good time with them and you're honest and you're not a douchebag, it's they don't they don't jump on you and try and attack you. And I'm usually very honest with people. I'm like, look, this is good about me. This is bad. I don't try and talk myself up too much. I talk myself down if anything. So it was what seemed like a surprise to people. And like, oh, you know, this came out of nowhere. I'm like, well, I was ranked number two overall last year, so it's not that surprising to people who know mm. me. And I'm sure that sounded a little cocky, but it's the truth. Are oh, you the overnight sensation? Yeah. That's not an overnight sensation. No, and I was like, for people who have never tuned in before, yep, yeah, overnight, out of nowhere. And that's great. And I went with that because it's a good story and people want to feel that connection. Like, this is crazy. And I'm you like, weren't no, I'm you, sure, why not? You weren't Eddie the Eagle, though. You know, no. you weren't, you know. I didn't Eric, go in there Muslim Barney. last, yeah. No. So I, I ran with it because it's, it's an innocent story. And, but, you know, deep down, when people really ask me, like, did you expect to do well? And I was like, I honestly expected the top five. If I'd done my good jumps, top five was very reasonable. And then when I got in the top four, I was like, I've done it. I've done my job. So it was crazy. And, you know, interview every three seconds. And yeah. our media guys just handed me the phone. I'd hand it back. He's like, here's someone else. I was like, oh, I just want to, just need to sit down. I couldn't. And there was a party down in the um, village for me. And like, no, you've got to do a drug test. I'm like, oh my gosh, of course I do. And of course I peed just before I went for my jumps, every jump just to get that nervous bit out. It took me two and a half hours to go to the toilet and I had about three parades and a Coke and a Diet Coke <laughs> and I was bursting. I was like, I just want to go to my party. And two and a half hours later, I turn up and everyone's like, already had too many drinks and the food's all gone. I'm still in my jumping gear. I'm like, I'm here everyone. I'm sorry, you're all really tired. It's past midnight, I don't know. But it was just so much going on and I couldn't comprehend it for a long time. And uh, I actually gate-crashed Tara's metal party, which was... Um, oh, sorry, Tara's Tara. Gate-crashed Tara's metal party, which was um, <laughs> not the nicest thing to do, but it was in the moment, and she very graciously just let me have my moment there when she had a medal and let me wear hers. I was like, this is what mine's going to feel like. It was, and it was good just to have everyone there who had been really supportive, and they were just so excited, and everyone was, everyone was so excited. It made me more excited, because I was trying to just figure out what had just happened. It's so surreal, obviously. Everyone says that. So when does it hit you that you've just won an Olympic silver medal? A fair while later. Like an hour later, a day yeah, later, like a week months, later? A month months later. later. So you've gone through the ceremony, everything. That yeah, hasn't got, really hit you? I had the ceremony, like in the moment, you're like, yep, here it is in my hands. I had it next to my bed and I woke up the next morning and I looked at it and I went, what is that? I picked it up and I'm like, <laughs> what is that? And I just wear it around. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. And then, I don't know, I'd come home and I'd do talks at schools and I'd pull it out and... It, it only really sunk in when random people, um, when I was doing talk with like kids would come up and be like, can I see your medal? I want to touch it. And people would come up on the street and be like, I watched you. And I didn't know these people. I'd get emails from like, I watched you and I was crying and yelling at my TV. And that's when it sunk in. When people who have nothing to do with you at all come up and go, you changed something for me that day. And mm. I've had kids come up and say, you inspired me after your talk and watching that. Uh, you know, I'm going to do my homework tonight. I'm like, oh, I guess that's something. I'm going to do my vegetables. I'm like, okay, cool. I've but changed. There will be a child in 15 or 20 years' time that achieves something somewhere and they'll say, what was your inspiration or motivation? As I we always ask that question. Me. And someone will say, oh, it's, it was Dave Morris. 
you can't put a price on that stuff. I don't want to sound cocky, but I've had a lot of people say, you know what, you're my idol, blah, blah, blah. That's so meaningful, more than nearly anything, because that's people's opinions, and especially when they're random people. And I got so many tweets and messages like well done just people saying how late up how late they stay and they were so tired for work the next day and mm. work up our neighbors and all this stuff and people saying it was worth staying up to 4 30 in the morning for that and that i don't know these people and they've gone out of their way to say we stayed up late and it was worth it thank you very much that was awesome and it was, that's when it sunk in i think i only got a couple uh hate hate trolling people there's always some I think, of course uh, there my is. brother Pete went and deleted them off before I read them because he didn't want to ruin my moment. But you know, there's always people who are like, "You suck," blah blah blah. I'm like, "Whatever, I don't even care. That doesn't get to me." But it's keyboard just a shame, warriors. isn't it? Yeah, keyboard warriors, of course. But the maj- the rest of them were just positive comments. And I actually the other day went through them all because I've never really had time. I spent. I'm just going to read through, it. and it was fantastic. Nearly made me cry. Just yeah. Random people just so pumped for you and like, oh, your family was great. I love your personality, and it's just nice to know that I was myself. And I didn't change that. And people liked me for me. I say that carefully because, you know, I, that's not everyone, I guess. But I generally think I was very genuine with who I was. And I think people like that. And that's why the silver medal was a win because fourth place for me was a win that day. And I took a silver like it was gold. And I think people see that. And I'm not disappointed that it wasn't first. At no point did I have a gold medal in my hand and give it to Anton. And some people have sort of edging out like, oh, you, you had it and you were so close and you just missed out. Like, no, I didn't miss out no. at any point. I never had it. I was, at the start of the day, I was in last place with everyone because no one had done anything. And you're in last place unless you go and do something about it. And then I was 12th and that was great for me. And then I was eighth and then I was fourth and then third, then second. At no point was I first. Last week, episode 23 of the Howie Games featured cricket legend Kumar Sangakkara. One of the true gentlemen of world sport, Kumar and his Sri Lankan team were horrifically caught up in a terrorist attack in Pakistan in 2009. There was never a doubt in our minds that, or a question in our mind whether we would get attacked. We thought, well, everyone loves cricket here yeah. in our part of the world. We're untouchable and then we find out that we're not. Um, it was a harrowing experience uh, for sure. Tilan Samravira got very badly injured. Uh, Tarangapana Vitana opened on his debut tour, was very lucky to survive. Um, a lot of people had injuries, uh, shrapnel wounds. Yourself? Yeah, myself included. Um, um, but again, you know, I look back to see, you know, we're islanders, you know, and uh, life is, is, for the, is, is to be lived. Okay, back to Diamond Davy Morris. It's it's funny the way we approach the Olympics and the Olympians and medals and you're an Olympic silver medalist. James Magnuson is an Olympic silver medalist. He, he's a swimmer in the 100 metres freestyle that went into the Olympics as a favourite and mm. got beat by a bloke called Nathan Adrian by one one hundredth of a second. So and small, but people see it as he, he was got beaten. He was labelled as a failure. Unbelievable, which, isn't which, it? It's not true. It causes me distress to think yeah. about that and knowing James, whereas you're viewed as a bloke who achieved beyond the nation's, not yours, the nation's yep, wildest yep. dreams. Yep. So this the same result, totally inc- different approaches to it. It's crazy. success. Yeah, for the same result. And that's really sad. It is. And it's that, that's one of the reasons I took myself down. Yeah. Because that does get to people and the media, and no offence to you, but you know, some people, they just jump on that. They're like, oh, you failed. I'm like, I didn't want anyone to don't, have Don't label us as a collective. Yeah, day. I shouldn't have said that. Don't label us as a collective. Yeah, dangerous. The media. Yeah. Some journalists. Yeah. 
oh, they it's can a, do it. Mate, it is. It's a real shame that sports journalism, like like anything in life, you're talking about the haters. I, you know, I always try to start anything I do with the positive, but it's so often it starts with a negative. It's, yep. That that's the way of the world. Now sitting here as an Olympian, this is this really interests me now, Dave. That people think, okay, you become an Olympic silver medalist. You've bought seven houses. You've got ten million dollars, and <laughs> well, and that's the thing, Dave. If you're a if you're a if you're a cricketer or a, a footballer or a tennis player, that is the case. But if you're an Olympian, the Olympians are littered throughout our history of the last forty years of professional sport of going and achieving amazing things: fourths, thirds, seconds, yep. firsts, and coming back and being on the bones of their ass. Yep, and. Money is an interesting thing because I've and when I go and talk to schools, I'm like any questions at the end. Of course, the first question the kids ask is like, "Do you make lots of money?" Well, that's what people think. Yeah, and they, they expect it. Oh, you got a silver medal. You've made a million dollars. Like the actual when you when you jump in a World Cup, if you win a World Cup, mm. you get nine thousand one hundred US for winning an international competition. Nine thousand one hundred yeah, US. That's for winning. And I'm pretty money? sure some people get more for turning up. No at prize money at the Olympics. No. No prize money. There's no prize okay. money for winning Olympic medal. Obviously, the sport organisations have uh, additional funding for yep. you. Yeah. And, like, there is, but for the actual event on its own, nothing. So could you put, and well, you don't have to, but I'll ask you now, could, you put, could you put a dollar figure on what you made from being an Olympic silver medalist in Sochi? I can do it just for the sake of argument. Um, yeah. I would have made nothing if I'd retired. Right. So you would have disappeared off into the ether and, and that would it. have been it. So the way it works at the moment with, our, with funding for um, actually most sports, I think, at the highest level, is it's this um, medal initiative. So yep. if you do well, that's awesome. But they will fund you the next year if you continue. Right. And it's obviously to keep you in the sport and yep. put money back into the sport, which makes perfect sense. But as an athlete, you're like, I've just trained for 10 years for this day. I've done it. And if I retire... I get nothing. So that funding, give, give me an idea of what that funding is. So would it would be, be uh, it could be about 50,000. Okay, 50,000. Again, people think, wow, this bloke, he's got the golden hold and he's got sponsors. Yeah, there's no millions, nothing, no. So sponsors at all come about as of the Olympics? I mean, financial sponsors? I've been given, how would I say, I'd say providers. Okay. So we get basically all our money that we are given is from um, the OWI and the Australian government like they give us the funding to help us in the sport but as regard to sponsors yep. uh, people are like oh well like I've got a ski sponsor so to speak like they give me skis okay. I get boots but no money at right. all so your costs are easier to deal with now that you're Olympic silver medalist but your money in the bank is yeah. of I walk away this with like I spend money obviously to do it all and I get some funding for that but at the end of the day I come off pretty much even do you feel now, I know you, you're a glass half full man. Do you, do you feel envious when you look oh, at... Oh, yeah. Um, there's 700 AFL footballers in the country, of which the worst of those AFL footballers is probably making 95000 a year. Yeah, and we we do look at them sometimes and, like, you know, you had a bad game and you still got paid a lot for so that. how do you and deal with that? It is just, it's just what it is. Because I, I didn't know the answer to these questions, <laughs> but I knew sitting here that you wouldn't have made any money no. from the Olympics. And it, it is what it is, and we, you know that coming in. It's not, it's, you're not there for the financial gain. No, you're not, and no one goes into it, but it's a full-time profession. It is. It's a job. But I think... I, I don't go to work at Channel 10 or Triple M or wherever because of the money, but if the money wasn't there, I, I wouldn't be going and doing mm. those jobs. And for some people, they do have to retire from the sport because it's too hard to pay for it. But, yeah. So now that I've done well, obviously, I'm getting funded completely enough and I get everything I need great but uh, yeah I watch some teams I'm like it's just not fair mm. and but on the flip side of that aerial skiing 
there are so few people in the world doing it, let alone Australia doing it for boys. And if you look at a football player, the amount of people they have to compete against to get to that level is huge. Mm. So they're obviously the best of the best in the country and they've done a lot to get there. So I can't take it away from they're amazing athletes. But just if you look at it, everyone, you know, everyone wants the most they can get for themselves. So when you look at the people, there's always something that's unfair. But I know they, they have to, they're constantly like trying to stay on the team because someone's coming up on them, kicking them off. And that's not the same for us. Once we're on, we're sort of on um, until you get old enough and you just, you can't do anymore. So it's not for the money, but um, I say this again carefully. I believe that when people don't compete for the money, they're just far more professional. Mm. And I say that very carefully. But when I see sports professionals versus Olympic athletes, I'd agree it's, with a that. Very, it's very different because I see someone who wants to be there because they love what they're doing, they love the sport. I'm not saying that a football player doesn't love what they're doing. Yep. But I think when the money isn't there, you have just a different kind of passion for it. And I think you can see that in personalities and how people react and how they deal with loss and defeat. It's just different. And I'm proud to, as far as I know, call myself an athlete, not a sporting professional who's just there for the dough. So where to from here? We sit here now halfway through 2016. You're about to head off and start training again. So the next Winter Olympics are 2018. 18, yep. Korea. South Korea. Random, another random place where it's probably going to be too warm. You going? That's the plan. Right. I wouldn't have come back if I didn't want Why? to do that because it's... Why? Well, Why the, go? Well, yeah. That's the, a good question. Well, the only reason to me from the outside looking in is because you think you win a gold medal. Like, well, what's the point of rolling up and coming fourth or fifth or third mm. when you've come second? And the possibility is, yes, that could very well happen because, as people saw, anything can happen in the yeah. sport. And it, I've accepted that I could come last that day and it would be very disappointing. That's my view. Why is your view? Why? Yeah. Who cares what and I think? No, no, that's, people have asked me that and it took me a while to come up with the answer. They're like, oh, why are you coming back? Or you, why, you know, you took, I took another year off, which I needed for my brain. Of course you did. Because um, I got my goal and I had to be like, well, what's my new goal? I've made Olympics, I've done well now, silver medal's great, like, why do I come back? And so they're like, yeah, why do you come back? And like, my answer ended up being, well, why wouldn't I when I'm still healthy, I'm still in one piece, I can still jump well and I enjoy it. So it wasn't really why I should come back, I just had no really, I didn't have a legitimate reason to stop. Mm. And until that changes, I'm just going to keep going. Do you have a picture in your head where in South Korea you are the Olympic gold medalist? Um, I don't want to get too far ahead, of course. Yeah. Obviously, that is the plan. Yeah. And I'm very capable of doing that. Well, we're, a, we're not sitting here saying, yeah, that's what I'm going to be. No, but of course. And uh, surely, I'm going to talk myself down just as much yeah, as the yeah. other time. And but I can is it possible? That. Yes. But surely, if you didn't have that in your head, you wouldn't be no. going back off to If do I didn't what think I could match it, I wouldn't have returned. No. Because it's, it's not worth to come back and do worse because I could have finished on a huge high. But I just, I enjoy it. I enjoy the atmosphere. All my friends are in the sport. Like I know these guys and the girls so well that that's what I'm used to. And coming back home for the year, it was, again, normal life was very different and I missed it. Mm. And I came back this year and started off with a bang. I got podiums in the first two competitions. I was like, holy moly, I'm back yeah. after a year off. And that got to me because I suddenly ranked number one in the world. I was like, holy moly. I did see that. Daniel. And then I started crashing on my jumps. I saw that too. Yeah, And I was like, what's happening? And after the season was over, it was a good season. I'm ranked number nine overall. That's not bad for a year off comeback. I was like, it got to me because I got the number one bib and I was like, yep, I'm good. I'm good because I'm an Olympic medalist and I'm good. And I had never been there before in that position. And I got a little cocky and I learned my lesson. I learned mm. the hard way because I crashed and all these young guns kept beating me and I got really frustrated with myself. I'm like, you know what? You have to learn to just jump 
each jump one at a time like you did before and it's just a just another life lesson do you have that jump in you that you were talking about that the belarusian and the russians were going for do you have that jump in you will you have that jump in you when you get to south korea or will you continue along the path that has been successful for you which is to me strikes me an athlete who wants to go beyond their abilities but their coach has said what you can do is really really good just stick with it it's a tricky one i'm actually going for a harder one right so what they did so it's, it's because still, Lydia's yeah. Lydia's whole thing at the last Olympics was to do something that no she, one has ever done yeah, before. She wasn't talking about winning. No, she, she didn't was care. trying to do something that mm. no woman's ever done before. And that's why she's still my idol. Yeah. I learn something from her every time and she doesn't like to admit it because I'm like, Lydia, I watch you and you're amazing. She's like, No, stuff like no, but seriously. You went out there, she did three flips and four twists, no girl had ever competed before. She could have done an easier jump and won two gold medals at Olympics in a row, but she wanted to do this jump at an Olympics in front of a huge crowd and make a statement, and she did, and she didn't get the results she wanted. She came third, still amazing. And, but some people saw that as a disappointment, which in her eyes, I think it was, because she wanted to land it. She wanted to land that skill. If she'd landed and come fourth, that would have been okay. Wouldn't care, it was about doing the skill. So do you want to go beyond what you can do, or will you stick being, uh, and don't, this is not a negative No, term, no, go for it, yeah. Mr. Consistency. The man no, that always sticks right. his jumps in Olympic yep. final when it counts, which has taken you to Olympics. Yeah, it has, and Served I always well. knew consistency was not going to make me the best athlete. It was just going to make me a good chance every week to do well, and I accepted that, and that's, it happens, just happened on the right day. Would you stuck that jump in the Olympic final if you'd gone for it? Oh, no chance. Okay. No. Nah. I, well, I can say maybe in theory, but that's theory, but I did ones I was good at good and coach. that wasn't surprising. Yeah, <laughs> did their jobs. That's yeah. what they paid for. Yeah. Um, so Anton, the Chinese guys, they did five twists. I'm going to attempt five on water this year. It's a different version. It's a full twist and then a triple twist and then a full twist. Right. So it's a slightly easier takeoff, slightly easier landing, but a lot of spins in the middle. I think I can do it. And it's a good chance to land it in a competition. And after I watched Lid do hers... And I've watched Lyd's movie, which is out. Have you ever seen it? It's mm. The Will to Fly, great movie. Made, nearly made me cry as well. But mm. just watching her passion for it. And I was there when it was all going down. But to see it when I'm not in the moment and her just, she had a goal and she wanted to do that jump. I've reassessed why I'm back. And I think that I can't, I won't be able to stop the sport unless I attempt this skill once. Even if it's once in a training session, I don't land it. I need to attempt five twists on snow to say I did five twists in three flips on snow because I had the balls to go for it. And that's, that's important to me. And I think I've just started to take the next step from being, you know, a top athlete, just that little bit step higher to where I believe Lydia is, where she's like, I'm going to do, this is my goal. And it's nothing to do with results. It's, I want to achieve something for me. And I'm not there yet, but I'm just starting to see how to get into that zone. And I, I just, I'm going to have to try it. And if it's at the Olympics, it's the Olympics. And if it's in training, it's going to be in training, but I will not be satisfied until I've attempted that skill successful or not. You make sure you let me know when you're going to attempt Oh, <laughs> everyone will know about it, don't <laughs> now, you worry. Now, the Howie Games always finishes. Uh, <laughs> I have two young children, Sky, who's six, um, who operates as the pickle, and my four-year-old boy, who will only answer the name of the big penguin. And we normally finish this by I tell them a little bit about the person I'm going to have a chat with on the Howie Games, and then they come up with a question. Um, and I swore to the kids after I got home from Sochi, um, I'm never going to the snow again. I freaking froze to death up there. <laughs> it wasn't even cold. It was like days. positive temperatures. Mate, you weren't standing there at 2 a.m. waiting for you that's to finish true, that's out true. I was moving in a bottle. Um, <laughs> I said, we're never going to the snow. We, we are going to the snow. In... That's right. You wouldn't have had to have toilet break up yeah, there. Oh, no. no. Oh, at least we're, I had a toilet. So they're going to Falls Creek in, in August. So this is the big penguins question to you. In three days' time, yep. can you learn to ski? 
Can you learn to ski in three days? I believe you can. This will be positive for the big yeah, penguin. Absolutely, Pant. Absolutely can. You can learn to ski in three days. You have to be confident. You have to listen to the instructions, and you are going to fall over. If you can accept that you're going to fall over, and you just get back up again, that won't worry the big skills. penguin. No, no, a lot of people fall over, and it puts them off. But that's part of the process, like any other skill. But yes, you can learn to ski in three days. Not as an expert, but you can safely get down a hill confidently and be like, "Yeah, I can ski." His next question, which I don't have, was, well, then I'll be able to go off jumps, Dad. I said, I think we just need to take the it easy, The answer is mate. yes, but you shouldn't. <laughs> hey, Dave, it's been a treat to sit here and chat with you. It's, it's funny I'd, to, to watch your story unfold and see it that, that time in Sochi now to be able to review it with you. You mentioned goosebumps a couple of times. I had them down my arms, and it was it's one of my favourite sporting moments we've ever seen. I'm, and I'm, thank you very much. I, I just, you've shown great support, and I thank you very uh, much for all the support you've given uh, me. Mate, I... Thank you. And I know it sounds wrong, but by gee, I cheered hard for that Chinese bike <laughs> to crash and that next Chinese bike. And to sit here that you're an Olympic silver medalist, mate, I hope, most importantly, I hope you stay safe. And Yeah, that is the main thing at the end of the day. Safe, safe jumps, walk away from it, have a good time, make friends, and hopefully um, pass the legacy on because I've learned so many things. I think I'll go into coaching after this because it'd be a waste to... Mm have the knowledge and the experience and not pass it down to people who deserve to do well. So that's, if I can do that, I'll, I'll, be, pre- I'll be pretty happy with myself. And never forget, in the Ukraine, you are a I'm sex, sex symbol. <laughs> we haven't been back yet. I'm waiting. Please hold another competition. Good on you, Dave. Thank you very much. Time. Really appreciate it. Dave Morris, legend, legend, legend. Okay, that's it for Series 1. Hope you loved it as much as MJ and I did bringing it to you. We're back Thursday, March 9, with Series 2 of the Howie Games. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Daddy, can we start all over again? No, this is good. (laughs) Listener